0: You're listening to the Co Main Event Podcast. And now, your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas.
1: That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co host from bleacherreport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, how you doing this week? I'm doing alright. How about you? I'm doing okay. I heard, uh, do you want to tell the story to the people about how your daughter just put one over on the substitute teacher at the preschool?
0: Yeah, I think, I wouldn't say substitute, but let's say the B-team teacher, the A-team teacher is away on vacation. The B-team teacher, I think she got played a little bit, calling us up to come pick this girl up from preschool for an upset stomach. No, man. No, that doesn't work, especially when you and your wife both work from home and it really kind of screws up your entire workday. So I've just spent the last few hours making sure that my daughter fully understands the boredom of a weekday at my house.
1: Our daughters are both four, so they're both uh, experimenting with lying, I would say. This particular story, though, reminds me. Uh, Of an anecdote I may have uh, told on the podcast before from when my daughter was much younger when she was just becoming a toddler and I can't remember what she was doing, but it was something where you could definitely uh, see that some advancement had taken place like her understanding of whatever the thing she was doing had definitely increased since the time before we had done the same thing. And I remember having this stark realization to myself, my God, this thing is just going to keep getting smarter and smarter until eventually it's as smart as I am. Or yeah. maybe smarter.
0: Well, come on. Come now. Who could be smarter than you? Well,
1: my, my offspring.
0: Well, the next there, generation. There you go. Uh, yeah, who won't be sitting around eating lead paint chips the way you did when you were a kid.
1: Her podcast is going to kick ass. <laughs>
0: yes. I assume it will just be directly inserted into people's brains by then.
1: Right in the minder net. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, you know... Um, the thing is, though, now they're still at the age where they're able, they're capable of understanding lying, but not capable of being good at it.
1: Yeah, they 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 don't grasp the long con. <laughs> That's right. The, the, their commitment to the lie breaks, necessarily breaks down after a pretty short amount of time.
0: Whereas my parenting style is all long con. But you're still living the lie. Yeah. In fact,
1: we got music again this week from our, our old friend of the podcast, The Fifth Element a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. Thanks to him for that. And if you like what you hear, you can check him out on Facebook at facebook.com slash the fifth element on Twitter at the fifth element or soundcloud.com slash the fifth element official. Y'all know by now, that's the number five and the letter a in the word the three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one, submit your opponent, do a dope dance and laugh in the champion's face. Not a bad night of work for Valentina Shevchenko. And in round number two, Donald the Cowboy Cerrone seemed to get knocked out twice on Saturday against Jorge Masvidal. Does the Cowboy let down in big spots? Does he just fight too damn much? A little of both? we'll discuss and in round number three now that conor mcgregor knows that some of you people will pay money just to watch him talk what are the odds he ever fights anybody ever again all that plus just saying stuff and are you fucking kidding me but first like we always do about this time let's do a little bit of listener
0: mail listener mail
1: the first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from D.D. Jones, who writes, I'm hyped for the return of my man, the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung, from his military service, though he comes back to a vastly changed UFC. You guys prepared to get your minds blown? Last time the zombie fought in the octagon, Conor McGregor had fought just once in the UFC. So where does Chan Sung Jung stand in the WME IMG-owned UFC? discourse?
0: of course. That is interesting.
1: That's a heck of a stat, isn't it? Yeah,
0: and I kind of looked it up a little bit after that to see just how different the UFC was when Chan Sung Jung left in 2013. I mean, he's going to be coming back looking around wondering what happened to middleweight champ Chris Weidman, (laughs) wondering what welterweight champ George St. Pierre is up to. I mean, not to mention when you throw some Reeboks at this motherfucker. Yeah, hopefully somebody interpreted to him that he will no longer be able to wear the Venom shorts. Yeah, he's going to show up with his Condom Depot shorts. You know, with some dude wipes, just ready to ready to do his thing and ready cash to, his check. Ready to cash those checks. Man, Someone's going to have to step in. It's going to be a heartbreaker for him.
1: Uh, he's the Korean zombie. Chan Sung Jung is just uh, 29 years old. He's going to turn 30 in March, so still a relatively young man as a fighter here. Uh, but yeah, his last fight in the UFC, Ben, was at UFC 163, where he fought then champion Jose Aldo and lost via TKO uh, in the fourth round. Uh, that was him vying for the featherweight title. He's going to come back this weekend and fight uh, Dennis Bermudez, I believe, that's that's right, at UFC Fight Night 104, uh, live from the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas.
0: Do you think that he comes back now uh, a hardened man after his military service? Do you think we'll see, like, just a thousand-yard stare in the Korean you zombie's eyes? Do think it's going to be
1: no more nonsense from the Korean zombie? Yeah, he's what not... If, what if he comes out and just engages in a very sober... Uh, and straightforward game plan against Dennis Bermudez.
0: Well, frankly, that will be a disappointment for me.
1: That's that would uh, rob the fans of what I think they want to
0: see here. Well, you know, but I kind of have no idea what to expect from the Korean Zombie after all this time, because we've seen it before, where if somebody takes a lengthy absence, and this is not that lengthy, but lengthy enough, uh, in some ways, the game done pass them by when they come back, and we don't know exactly what. He's been able to do as far as hard training-wise during his military service. And so when he comes back, you know, it seems like he's kind of starting with a clean slate in a way. In a way, like a clean slate, but we know who he is. You know, he's not some completely unknown dude. He has a little bit of a fan base left over from the people who were still watching way back when, in 2013. But, you know... It's kind of all the stuff that he's actually done, I think, has kind of been forgotten to the point where people just know his name. They know they remember vaguely that they enjoyed watching him, and they're kind of going to be tuning in to see why and to see if that's, that guy is still there.
1: Yeah, and uh, not that I want to make a direct parallel between Chael Sonnen and Chan Sung Jung, but like if you take Sonnen's terrible performance against Tito Ortiz and Bellator... Uh, as any kind of example for ring rust or what can happen to a guy when he's been out of the cage 3 plus years uh Chan Sung Jung might be looking at some obstacles here against Dennis Bermudez not that I think he's going to react to it the exact same way not that he's you know at the same place in his athletic life as Sonnen is but uh I don't know man maybe octagon jitters all over again might be might be like a rookie out there
0: well, yeah and Bermudez is not exactly an easy guy to come back against you know he he's an experienced dude and you know he as you know he last fought in August so he's he's not going to have the same problems trying to get his timing down and all that stuff that you hear guys talk about when they've been gone for a little while um and yet maybe in a way if if it's a good thing at all for the zombie it's that he ended the last run with that that title loss and that that title fight against Jose Aldo and we've seen that before where that kind of will put a little bit of a roadblock as far as what you can do in your career after that. It takes a lot of work to get back to another title shot, especially at the same guy's champion. Uh, and now the same guy is champion again through a weird turn of events, but it does seem like it. this kind of gives him a fresh start in some way.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess what you're saying is he could definitely benefit from the fact that there's been, that there's been so much water under the bridge since the last time we saw him, uh, Jose Aldo is, is one of the champions, right? There are other champions out yeah. there. The multitude of featherweight champions that we've got these days. So, yes, Chan Sung Jung could have uh, numerous opportunities if he's able to come back and make a, a successful return against Dennis Bermudez. Bermudez, by the way, in his Wikipedia picture... It's definitely, like, just a stock UFC fighter picture. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. But it's just it, it, grainy enough that it
0: looks like it's from a video game. No, what it looks like, actually, is that it looks like he is posing for the real picture, but this is not that picture oh, because like the angle is weird. A... It looks like somebody was standing next to the photographer, like, with their camera phone, and took this picture. That's what it looks like to me. There you go. That's We sleuthed right through that one. Do you think that the zombie is really going to be thrown off when he's getting set to fight? He looks over... To find the uh, the comforting eyes of Mike Goldberg, he's
1: not going to be able to go out for his customary pre-fight coffee with Mike
0: Goldberg. <laughs> they used to kind of just work through things, game plan a little bit, and now now that's gone.
1: He's going to get halfway done with a 16 ounce americano with John Anik before they both decide it's not working. It's not the same. <laughs> Next question this week comes to us from Simon Como, who I believe wrote his name here uh, phonetically. So we could pronounce it. See, that's how you got to do it. I, I think so, too. I'm just saying that Simon Como, the spelling of Simon Como's name in his email address is different than how he spelled it in the body of the email for us to pronounce.
0: See, that's how you know somebody has been paying attention to this show.
1: He writes, holy fuck, the energy of an Engano uppercut can actually send a heavyweight mass to a higher gravitational potential. Granted, Arlovsky was uh, pushing off his leg at the moment of impact, but Saturday night, uh, the title of most powerful caged man has been awarded. Please speak authoritatively. Uh, so yeah, Ben, Francis Ngannou comes out there and gets obviously the biggest win of his short-ish UFC career thus far with a first-round TKO over Andre Arlovsky. Uh, a lot of people thrown out some superlatives about the... Uh,
0: the superlatives kicked up a notch, didn't they? Yeah. Even so, before this fight, I was so, surprised. But, well, I shouldn't be surprised by that anymore. I mean, I guess we should talk about the the
1: main superlative
0: that kicked
1: it up a notch before this fight was Dana White coming out and saying he thought Francis Ngannou could be, I believe he said, a long-reigning UFC heavyweight champion in other
0: words he could be the greatest heavyweight of all time since we've never had a long reigning heavyweight champion it
1: certainly brings up the point of what you mean by long reigning heavyweight champion and either what you're you saying mean by could he, either <laughs> either you're saying he's gonna be the greatest heavyweight champion of all time or he'll get, he'll have like a cup of coffee six months with the belt and lose on his second title defense like every other person and does
0: maybe by could we mean it's not impossible It is not like beyond the realm of all human possibility that that could happen. Uh, Just saying stuff is what that is.
1: Yeah, just just saying stuff. uh, So business as usual, basically, for Dana White. (laughs) But let's make the point, 30-year-old Francis Ngannou fighting in this heavyweight division where, frankly, we will take any young, sort of young, quasi-young prospect because we need him up there at
0: 265. Well, yeah, and especially a... A Guy who has made as many strides as quickly as he has. We talked about before about watching that, that clip, which I went back and looked and was from his second pro fight, and it was awful. Just got awful. But still, you could see like the raw physical ability was there. And this, see, okay, if he can get from, from there to here in three years, all right, then maybe he can continue to grow and uh, really be a serious threat to a lot of these guys. However, the thing we've seen him do so far, I mean, he has that one submission win. We, we've seen that you know, he can do some stuff when he hits the ground. He's not completely lost, and I'm sure he's rounding out that game all the time. At least, I goddamn I hope he is. Uh, but really, he's relying on the heavyweight division's ability to give a guy who can go out there and land one solid punch at any given time uh, a lot of a runway to work with. And that's especially against somebody like Arlovsky, who has been a little chinny at times. Uh, you know, you could see the potential for that happening here and that's exactly what did happen and his technique is pretty sharp you know it's not like he's just going out there and throwing wild crazy punches or getting lucky and catching guys like he's doing the right things to lead to these victories at the same time the voice inside my head that says but what about Cain Velasquez bro (laughs) like you know imagining like the first time he goes up against uh, one of those really solid wrestlers or really solid uh, grapplers in the heavyweight division you know picturing Nganu versus Fabricio Verdum I'm not saying I can't picture ways that Verdum fucks that up and gets himself knocked out, but I could also picture it being one of those situations that we've seen in MMA where the prospect balloon deflates really quickly and everybody is looking around hoping nobody will bring up the fact that they got way too ahead of themselves with this guy
1: yeah i'm on board with having some hype around francis and like i said i think the heavyweight division needs it this is a dude who certainly looks good getting off the bus at six foot four 260 pounds can hardly look better getting off the bus chad he's a legit heavyweight it's not like he's gonna lose a couple of fights and then we're gonna realize oh he's actually a you know 185 pounder You're right uh, just needs to lose the beer belly. No, this guy, he, you know, he's clearly got the physicality to com- compete at that weight class. He's going to come out there with a dope uh, lightning bolt shaved into the side of his head, which I am also into. Really, I preferred when
0: the guy whose nickname is the Predator had a haircut that looked more like the Predator. Uh,
1: I mean, he did look an awful lot like the Predator back in those days
0: so i mean if he has to become francis bobby brown and ganu i'm not saying i'd be against
1: that i guess what i'm saying is if you are going to cut the dreads off at least give me a lightning bolt okay shaved in the All side right. of Fair in the side of his head uh i would agree with you a little bit not necessarily on pumping the brakes on the hype around francis and ganu but uh we still just don't know that much about him fight wise he's only his longest fight in the ufc to date uh was against curtis blades back in April of last year. That one went two full rounds before he won via Dr. Stoppage.
0: Video game character, Curtis Blades. That's right. 19, Curtis the Razor Blades.
1: 1980s Miami uh, private detective, Curtis Blades. Uh, and Blades is a former junior college national wrestling champion, if I'm not mistaken. And in that fight, Nganu did a pretty good job warding off the takedown attempts of Curtis Blades, showed some good takedown defense. And the, the you know a couple of times when Curtis Blades did get him down, he was, he was awfully good at standing up off his back. So impressive stuff there. At the same time though, aside from that being the longest fight, we just haven't really seen him do that much inside the octagon. Uh, what with very, very short fights against Andre Arlovsky, very short fights against Anthony Hamilton. Um, his, his UFC debut was against Luis Henrique, uh, which was another fight where, uh, they went two rounds, but and Ngannou ended up knocking him out in the second round, and and it's not like Luis Henrique is, is everybody's measuring stick out here for what kind of potential you bring to the heavyweight division. So I'm going to suspend some of my judgment until we see him fight a, a couple more top guys in the heavyweight division, and, and especially some people who could stylistically pose
0: some more challenges to him than, than what we've seen so far. Which you would have to think is going to come soon, right? Because if you look at the rankings, and if you follow with the typical logic that once you beat a dude who is ranked at one point then you the next fight should be against the guy ranked higher than that it gets serious in a hurry in the heavyweight division you know looking at just the UFC's rankings which are you know always come with that disclaimer that they are kind of poppycock uh but ahead of him ahead of Nganu right now you got Travis Brown then Derek Lewis and then Andre Orlovsky, who he just beat after Arlovsky it's Mark Hunt uh, ben Rothwell, Junior Dos Santos, Alistair Overin, Kane Velasquez, Fabricio Verdum. There's just not a lot of ways to ease in after this point. Once you get ahead of Arlovsky to to hunt and beyond, then you get into a lot of dangerous dudes with a lot of experience.
1: Yeah, such as the way again of the heavyweight division. It's just not you just don't have the uh the deep talent there to have like a 15 fight maturation process. Like you might have, if you fought it at lightweight or welterweight or something like that, you're pretty much going to get thrown in the fire right away. If it seems like you're the kind of person that has any potential whatsoever. Um, I saw people throwing around the idea of Francis and against big Ben Rothwell up next would watch, which yeah, definitely would watch that. Uh, and you know what though? I'm it's, it's I was thinking about this, in the wake of Dana White's comments and in the wake of the the impressive win uh over Andre Arlovsky. And it's like I'm not sure that I see in Francis Ngannou the the kind of skill set where I would where I would feel real comfortable saying he's gonna go out there and beat Stepe Miocic, who like basically is a striker like Ngannou is and and, you know, we have a lot more tape on him and I would I would venture a a guess that he just seems more technical and a little bit more complete right now than a guy like Nganu so yeah I mean it's okay to be excited about the Predator but at the same time I'm not sure we need to be saying stuff like a future long reigning champion if I were the actual champion I would be upset about that
0: yeah well and I think also a lot of it is that you know how it is when it's been a while since we've had a young ish heavyweight to really get excited about and it's kind of like a thing where you know if you if you've been single for a long time and, you know, your last breakup ended, is kind of bad and you had to pick up the pieces and then you meet someone new who seems all right. They don't seem as outwardly bad as all the first dates you've been on. And some little part of your brain is going, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. And you need that other part of your brain to say, but maybe we just don't know all the problems yet.
1: Yeah, and I guess it could work the other way, too, since we just haven't seen that much of of Francis Ngannou so far. Maybe he goes out there, beats Ben Rothwell, maybe he beats Cain Velasquez, and he's still so young in his career, I would expect him to continue evolving. Maybe after another couple wins, he does look like a person who could legitimately challenge uh, the skill set of the champion. I don't
0: know. You're you're running the moving truck after date number two, my friend. I don't know. That's what you're doing
1: playing both sides of the fence. Next question this week comes from JJ Pesadilla or Pesadilla. He writes, "Hey guys, I'm pissed off. Oh good. The UFC didn't announce the main event for the Fight Night in London, put the tickets on sale and then elevated Manoa versus Anderson as the main event. Do they think we're stupid?" Question mark. PS, I kind of had a feeling that was going to happen, so I didn't buy the tickets. Yeah. Why are you
0: so pissed then, JJ? It seems yeah. like you had this one kind
1: of figured out. Yeah.
0: Seems like JJ is the one who should be you know tapping the forehead or tapping yeah. the, the temple right exactly. here, Bobby Heenan style professional wrestling heel one step ahead. All the people I've heard from on Twitter today who said that they did buy the tickets, they're the ones who should feel like, Wait a minute, did I just get played here? And you got, you know, I understand why they're mad, and I do agree that this is kind of a garbage main event. I would be mad if I had bought tickets expecting something really awesome, and then this happened. Um, but. You kind of brought this on yourself, in a way, because you were the ones who bought all the tickets before you knew what you were buying. And the UFC looked at that and said, all right, job well done here. You don't really have to give them anything super awesome. Uh, And, you know, I think that that's kind of—we've seen it before from the UFC where when they think they've got a market where the people are all shit-eating wild men for the product whenever it comes to town— then you don't have to give them the absolute best stuff. You know that they're going to snap up all the tickets regardless just because they they see the brand name on it. And then, you know, they get kind of the second tier stuff. So if you don't want them to be able to make that assumption about you, maybe everybody should hold off on buying the tickets until you see what you're buying.
1: All right, Ben. uh, Let let me see if you can tell. I'm going to name a couple fighters here. I want you to tell me if they are real fighters on the, uh, what is it, Fight Night? Fight Night 107 card, or if I made them up.
0: Okay. Are you looking at it? You're looking no, at I'm, it, aren't I'm you? Not, I have not looked at it. I was about to pull it up, but I haven't got there yet.
1: All right, I'm going to start you with an easy one. Tom Breeze.
0: Real fighter. That
1: That is a real fighter. You're correct. How about Arnold Allen? Real fighter. Another real fighter. Good one. How about uh, Charles Jenkins? Fake fighter. That is fake. Wow, you're doing a lot better at this than I Woo! thought you What's the co-main event here? Uh, uh,
0: it's... Daijuro, I don't know.
1: You got Brad Pickett versus Henry Briones. Oh, of course. Co-main. Where again,
0: Brad Pickett's going to make another attempt at getting a retirement fight.
1: Boy, I tell you what, this one is scheduled for March 18th, 2017. We are getting well into the year here with a lot of lackluster UFC main events, one right after the other. Like we are fully, we will fully be through the first quarter
0: before uh we get done with this stretch yeah and well you know we touched on this in previous shows that that seems to be kind of the landscape right now you got a lot of people out a lot of the biggest stars are out either through choice or otherwise in some cases and uh you know you get a couple other people hurt you get a couple other people booked far in advanced and the next thing you know there just isn't a whole lot of star power from one weekend to the next Last question this week comes to us from Ryan
1: Busuteel. Is that a phonetic spelling? We we might recommend a phonetic spelling the next time Ryan Busutil emails the show. He writes, is it just me or is the quote-unquote light heavyweight champion, insert Dr. Evil air quotes, Daniel Cormier, trying out a heel turn? His comments against WMMA pioneer Gina Carano on State Run TV seemed too over the top for what was more or less an innocent statement. When asked about if Ronda Rousey should fight again, after her recent loss, Carano simply said that Ronda Rousey has plenty of time to decide if she wants to fight again. Cormier said Carano shouldn't be giving anyone advice because her career after ended after one loss. It also seems like bad timing on DC's part, as he says this amid all the women's marches going on in the country, and then reacts on Twitter like he doesn't know what he did wrong. It comes off as odd. Is Cormier just looking to stay in the spotlight any way he can since Jon Jones is out for another six months? Maybe DC should focus on his yoga mat throwing opponent, Anthony Johnson, instead of a female who is no longer fighting,
0: please discourse. I wouldn't read any uh, malice into DC's comments here. I just don't think he's that kind of a guy. My guess here is that he maybe just misread the room a little bit uh, as far as how those remarks would go over. Uh, And, you know, I guess in a way I can kind of see how to his perspective... That that comment seemed to make sense, and I I agree that it did seem like we were going through a time there when a great content generator was ask somebody what they think Ronda Rousey should do next. Yeah. Um. But Gina Carano kind of uniquely positioned to give advice on that just because of the way her career went. Like she she is somebody who because you would wonder like does Gina Carano have any regrets? Would she tell Ronda Rousey hey? Take a little bit of time, but get back in there. Don't let it, don't don't be chased out of the sport the way I was. Or would she tell her, like, hey, this is awesome? Uh, See if you can just hold on to the movie gig thing and never fight again because it is rad. So, I mean, I think that she is one of the few people that it would be interesting to hear from there. Um, And I I would guess that this was more a thing of Cormier keeps getting shoved on TV and there, you know, you got to fill the state run TV content demands and you say enough stuff, you're bound to say something that where you didn't maybe think it through as uh, fully as you should have.
1: Yeah. I was actually just going to say that I was going to offer this hypothesis for how Daniel Cormier shows up on TV, making perhaps a partially tone deaf response to Gina Carano's uh, statement about Ronda Rousey. And that is that we all know that Fox sports one is sort of embracing uh, this idea that, that it's going to be the, channel of debate it has the skip and shannon sharp show it's kind of uh, pinning a lot of its hopes on that sort of like argumentative programming style for all we know maybe dan daniel cormier showed up at the fs1 headquarters one day and had forgotten that he was on tap for uh, an opinion piece on uh, UFC Tonight that night, scrambles around on the internet, finds some MMA junkie story about stuff Gina Carano said about Ronda Rousey, and boom, there you go. Just grabs whatever he can take and hits the, uh, hits the airwaves. As a person who hosts a show where he is often responsible uh, for having a quote-unquote take on something, I can tell you that what I just laid out, true to life. Yeah,
0: I, true could, to s- life. I could see how something like that might happen.
1: It's like, oh, you forget you got to record the speed bag, and then suddenly it's time to go, you know?
0: Next thing you know, you're in hot water with all the Gina Carano fans out there.
1: That's going to do it for We've listener mail. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern to air to the co-main Event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. It comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days when we're not recording the podcast. News always breaks, stuff always happens. The newsletter itself is short and informative, we would like to think it's funny, and if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. man, this turned out to be a poor matchup for Juliana Pena.
0: Is that, is that your take here? Is that well, where you're going to go?
1: That's my opener. Okay. Sure looked like a poor matchup to me. You got uh, Juliana Pena out there who, at least in some circles, was considered a potential prospect at 27 years old. She'd been on this uh, four-fight UFC win streak, and then she comes out against Valentina Shevchenko in the main event of UFC on Fox 23 on Saturday night and looks... Dare I say overmatched didn't really seem like she had the complete skill set to compete with Valentina Shevchenko and came in with a game plan to sort of pressure her against the fence, get in the clinch, maybe use some takedowns uh, and get into top position and do some damage there. Not sure. It seemed like Ju- Juliana Pena had all the tools to complete that. Uh, game plan, and then in the second round when she finally does get on top of Shevchenko, obviously Shevchenko rolls into that arm bar and ends up getting the submission just about thirty seconds before the round is supposed to end. Uh, so yeah, that was my take. You had a different take
0: over there. I think that it's not that she was like super overmatched. I think I mean I think Valentina Shevchenko is really good, and uh, you know I was not terribly surprised here when I picked her to win that fight. I didn't think it would look exactly like that. If you tell me she gets the armbar from the bottom, I'm not so sure that I I would have no, called that one. I don't think very many people have that in their pools. But I think that uh, – I I don't think it's that Juliana Pena is missing a lot physically. But I think that maybe the maybe she could stand to uh, relocate for a little while. Maybe find some, some different coaching. Because it seemed like maybe they just weren't making the necessary adjustments through what we saw of this fight. You know, she gets taken down the same way twice, basically, in the first round. Um, and, but then, you know, to her credit, comes out there in the second round, takes Shevchenko down. And you're thinking, okay, like she's she's adjusting to what's going on. Uh, and she's ready to kind of turn things around here. And then kind of just lets herself get caught there. I, I just, I don't think that that's a sign that Juliana Pena was nowhere near ready for somebody like Valentina Shevchenko. I think maybe that, it, maybe fight IQ wise. Uh, She wasn't where she needed to be, but if she gets the right experience and again, the right coaching, because a lot of the things we're hearing coming out of that camp don't make you terribly confident um, that she can just stick it out there and everything will be fine. I don't know. I I mean, I still think that I'm not ready to take the prospect label off of Juliana Peña just yet.
1: So wait a second. What you're doing is you're going to throw the folks from sick Jitsu and the Luis Claudio combat team under the bus. Did you read the thing? Dun, 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 dun. Did you read breaking
0: the, news the, out of the co-main event podcast? Did you read the thing about the sick jitsu uh, people? I saw this on the internet, which means I don't remember where I saw it. But uh, talking about how they didn't believe in blocking body shots or checking leg kicks—that basically that kind of like old school Milutin style tough first mentality. Uh that used to be popular in a lot of the like wrestler oriented camps like militich and Team Quest and stuff like that, which has kind of fallen out of favor uh in favor of just a little bit more of like well rounded technique approach to the game when you hear stuff like that, and then you see you know in the fight itself, maybe not a whole lot of great adjustments being made. I think that's when you start to wonder, but what if you went to American top team? What if you took in the, the Rays in South Florida for a little while, just to see how it would go? I had not read that,
1: and I would agree with you that that sounds troubling. Uh, I, I heard Brian Stan on the actual broadcast say that even though Juliana Pena had been uh, staying in Denver for a month, I guess, to acclimate to the altitude, that her coaches scoffed, that, scoffed at the idea that altitude could be a, a limiting factor in uh, athletic
0: performance. Had they just not ever seen UFC events at altitude? I
1: guess they have either not watched them and or not spoken with Cain Velasquez, because he would tell you. But yeah. That's, that's probably not true. Um. Uh, okay, yeah, I will accept your uh your ideas there about the uh, lack of adjustments for Juliana Pena's game plan against Valentina Shevchenko. I would also say, though, it just looked limited to me. It looked like, and maybe this was the fault of game planning and I'm assigning it to the fault of skill set. I don't know. But it just looked like, there was only one thing that she felt like she could do there. Like she clearly didn't want to tangle with Valentina Shevchenko at range on the feet, but it just seemed like, you know, through two rounds or through almost two rounds, the only thing we had going for us was kind of like pressure up against the fence, get into the clinch, maybe try to sink a takedown, although she didn't even get that far uh, trying to do that until the the second round when she ended up getting finished.
0: Well, that seems to me, you know, not necessarily like her thinking that was only a few things she could do, but knowing exactly what she didn't want to do, and then maybe not knowing uh, maybe not having a full range of options to fill that in with it. But again, I think that you got to give Valentina Shevchenko a lot of the credit here because I think that we've seen in a few of her recent fights, especially where people are trying to figure out like, okay, here's what I know she's good at, so here's what I'll do instead. And we're seeing, especially as she gets a little more experience that there are fewer and fewer of those options available to you. I mean we've seen we're seeing a little bit more like what she's capable of, the kind of like raw physicality in the in the clinch game on uh, on the ground. Now she if she can pull an armbar off of her back. Like she's throwing out more stuff to that would worry me if I were other people in the the women's bantamweight division trying to think about what I can do to her because it seems like that that window is closing rapidly.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that this was a fine performance from Valentina Shevchenko and indeed could have been, uh, you know, in the main event of a a nationally televised network uh, TV broadcast could have been kind of a breakout moment for her. You can't really get much better. Then these back-to-back wins, the first over Holly Holm, and now the, the impressive stoppage via submission, which no one expected, on Juliana Pena. Uh, she does have the loss to Amanda Nunes at UFC 196, which was in March of last year. So I guess maybe the the defining question of their rematch, if that is indeed what is about to happen, is whether or not Valentina Shevchenko has progressed enough to turn that decision loss into a victory. Uh, if she fights noons for the women's bantamweight title next,
0: you know what? The thing is, there is I think that they both gotten better since that. Uh, they both looked a lot better since that anyway. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like that was a really great fight for Amanda Nunes either. Like it, you know, she started off pretty well in that one and had some good moments in that one. But I don't think a whole lot of stuff from that one is going to go on her highlight reel. Uh, so. You know, I think they both have found themselves a little more as fighters in in the more recent bouts. The thing I wonder about, especially, and I wrote about this a little bit as I'm watching them after the fight. You know, Valentina Shevchenko has just won a main event on network TV. Uh, she goes out there; they got the champ right there. They're gonna have the little face-off thing to hype the coming bout, and you just you don't exactly come away feeling like, oh, they're gonna move a lot of pay-per-views on this one. You know, they kinda did the the usual things where Amanda Noon says, Oh, I'm gonna beat you worse than last time. Valentina Shevchenko politely disagrees with that assessment. And, you know, it's fine and all. Like it's it's cool. I, I I think that's a genuine response for who they are from both of them. But I also a part of me was like, Here we go into some kind of doldrums for the women's bantamweight division. Because I think that these are there are some good fights to make, some good athletes in that division, and yet if Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate are gone, and it is replaced by Valentina Shevchenko versus Amanda Nunes, don't spend the pay-per-view money just yet.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I would say, in their defense, obviously you have uh, the Russian-speaking champion or challenger facing off with the Portuguese-speaking champion. On they both an, got pretty solid English on now. an English language broadcast. Uh, under to to underscore that, I would say. Maybe everybody just too motherfucking friendly a little bit because that's that's the vibe that came out of this thing immediately when like Valentina Shevchenko had the lead comment in what was supposed to be kind of a contentious face off.
0: Yeah, well, and I mean, I like Valentina Shevchenko's comment in the video package that ran before this fight where, you know, it's the part where you're supposed to be like, I'm going to go out there and impose my will and, and crush her. And her first comment was nobody can know for sure what will happen. Uh, true, which is true. Uh, so I appreciate that. But yeah, it also, it did remind me of the everybody, too, motherfucking nice days that we remember from, you know, the pre Ronda Rousey era in women's bantamweight, where everybody was kind of in it t- together. They all kind of recognized that they all, were all part of the same struggle to get attention, uh, in the male dominated sport. Um, and, It does seem like when you look around at what's available right now, we might be poised for a little bit of a return to that, which I don't know if if that's going to be great for ratings.
1: Yeah, like we talked about a little bit last week, this is essentially the first women's bantamweight title pairing in the fully post-Ronda Rousey era. Since even while she was gone between Holly Holm and and Amanda Noon's uh, defeats, the, the entire uh narrative of that weight class was kind of about whether Rhonda would come back, when she would come back, and what her future would be once she did come back. Now that that feels a little bit more final, and we don't know, um, you know if she's going to come back, it, it feels like it's not going to be for a while, so we're left with uh what we think will be Shevchenko versus Nunes um and i thought that it was cool that the ufc made this the the main event in denver uh instead of giving cowboy Cerrone the the obvious hometown treatment could have made him the main event easily so i thought that it was it implied good things about the future that it want that the company wanted to go with the women's bantamweight title eliminator as the main event but i think you're right if this is what we get uh in In terms of like the, uh, at least for a little while, the dominant title pairing moving forward, I don't think that this this is going to be one that particularly moves the needle on pay-per-view. And in fact, could be, you know, a title fight that I think would be right at home on network TV, if that's where they want to put it.
0: Yeah, why not?
1: Do you want to do, are you fucking kidding me? And then we will move on to round number two? Sure. Ben, what's your, are you fucking kidding me this week?
0: Well, speaking of Amanda Nunes, UFC women's bantamweight champion, Amanda Nunes, uh, when asked At this event, about Amanda Nunes' comments about going up and getting the featherweight belt, now that the UFC is creating that, Uh, Dana White, UFC President Dana White, had this to say, Pump the brakes. Let's defend the title first. You know what I mean? Let her defend her title first. She hasn't defended her title. Are you fucking kidding me? Because she did defend the title, like a month ago, against Ronda goddamn Rousey, at one of the biggest pay-per-view events of the year, by all... Uh, reports about the pay-per-view buys. It did not happen that long ago. It was also when she became the first woman since Ronda Rousey to defend the women's bantamweight title. How do you not know that if you're the UFC president? Are you fucking kidding me?
1: You fucking kidding me?
0: Was even Dana White, like, not paying attention to Amanda Noon throughout all that that promo of Ronda Rousey leading up to that fight? You know what it sounds like to me? Ronda Rousey versus Fighter X?
1: I mean, I think it's telling. I think it speaks to the UFC mindset, right? Like... It's kind of by like how when we talk about the light heavyweight division on this show, we continually mistakenly refer to John Jones as the champion. <laughs> right. It could be a little the, something of the same thing going on in Dana White's mind.
0: In his mind, he just heard, noons defeats Rousey, therefore that must have been when she got the title.
1: Yes. Fucking kidding me. Ben, this week my mm-hmm. Are You Fucking Kidding Me? goes out to my Dish Network satellite TV schedule. Oh no. For having the wrong damn start time for UFC on Fox 23 and I guess... It partially also goes out to me for not knowing any better, but I damn near missed all of this event. I'm sitting at home, finishing up, giving the kids dinner, and I look at my phone, and I see a bunch of people tweeting about Francis Ngannou knocking out Andre Arlovsky, and I think to myself, what the hell? And I go to my TV and I turn it on, sure enough, this thing's half over.
0: You know what? I uh, the same thing almost happened to me, except I was actually watching the entire thing live, so I could write recaps. So you knew when it started. Well, yeah, but I saw the same thing on the thing. I think it was Bones, right? It told yeah, you that Bones they, was on. That Bones this. was on, and so I, I assume you DVR'd that, like because you were just like, "Well, I'm not going to miss a rerun of Bones." Need to add
1: that to my Bones collection until <laughs> the uh, the DVD set of the complete series that I ordered comes in the mail. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Satellite TV schedule. You know, the weird part is I looked at it and I thought Seven o'clock start time Does that seem like when these things normally start? Must be But I think it's six, right? Here in the one true time zone? That's right God damn it Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one We'll be right back with round number two
0: Well, Chad, in the co-main event at UFC on Fox 23, Jorge Gamebred Maspidal, goes out there and knocks Donald Cerrone out at the end of the first round, and then kind of has to do it again at the very beginning of the second round. Now, I'm sure we'll get to that part, a little bit of weirdness about how the whole fight uh, unfolded. Instead, to begin with, though, let's look at Donald Cerrone, the guy who has been in this situation before, really, in other in, in his previous life as a lightweight, where it seemed like he would get a head of steam going, would get a good win streak going, just piling up the fights like he wanted to fight every single damn month, and then it would seem to catch up with him at a certain point. We saw that uh back I believe his first year in the UFC in two thousand eleven, uh he fought uh Five times, I believe it was, and lost the last one at the kind of year end show to Nate Diaz, where he kind of looked like he had been fighting a little too much. We even heard it from his cornermen in the audio, Greg Jackson and Mike Winklejohn, saying that he had fought too much. Uh, then, you know, his most recent run of lightweight, where he had that great win streak, uh, won like eight in a row, challenged for the title, uh, got beat there, reinvented himself as a welterweight. It was going super great. Won four in a row, uh, last fought, you know, in early December, and then goes out there against Masvidal and, uh, you know, kind of got blitzed there at the end of the, the first round, and that ended up being all she wrote there. I'm. It's hard for me to tell if it's an either-or, or if it's just a convenient timing kind of thing. Is it that he fights too much? Is it that when he gets in a situation where things could really start to snowball for him, something falls apart? Or is it just, that's how the brakes are? This is a tricky one because I think it's really
1: tempting to start doing sports caster hot take stuff here about Donald the Cowboy Cerrone. Because you're right to point out that historically throughout his career, he kind of loses the big one, right? The uh, Nate Diaz fight. At UFC 141 was a big-time grudge match at the time, and obviously Cerrone performed terribly in that fight, uh, was kind of out of it from the first round, uh, loses to Anthony Pettis, loses to Rafael Dos Anjos twice, and now, as you said, had this head of steam going uh, at welterweight and then loses in his hometown in this like nationally network TV co-main event fight uh, to Jorge Masvidal again. Uh, In a fight where if you go back and watch it, I think it's tempting to say Donald Cerrone just doesn't necessarily look right from the beginning, just looks a little tight, looks like he's troubled by something. So I think, you know, you could say that. You could say he, he's, he's been known to lose the big one. You could say uh, he does fight too damn much because I think if anybody fights a ton in either of these two divisions, you're not going to win them all. Uh, and previous to this loss, he'd gone, I think, 12 and 1. Surrounding that last loss to Dos Anjos, and then you could also, if you wanted to, just start looking around for for trouble spots. You know, he's out at the concert that the Steel Panther, I believe it's called, concert the night before this fight. uh Admitted he didn't watch any film of Jorge Masvidal, left that up to his coaching staff, and then comes out there and coughs up this second round TKO loss. Does any of that actually affect the performance of Donald the Cowboy Cerrone? I don't know, but yeah. that's all of the stuff. That it's tempting to say
0: well he's also you know if you want to talk about the characteristics of Cerrone he's also been known to be a little bit of a slow starter at times so if you're going to get to him then you know getting to him early is not a bad way to do it uh also though he did fight four times in 2016 which is you know the high end of normal kind of the low end of normal for Donald Cerrone uh and then fights in the first month of 2017 and that's a tough op- a tough opponent to go out there uh and fight Masvidal. I mean, you could lose that one without needing any excuses. You can you can stay home from the concert and Masvidal can still find a way to beat you. So and then uh, you missed the concert too. Then, so. yeah, at least this way you got to go to the concert. But then, you know, you look at it, his fight against Matt Brown, which was an awesome fight. Um, you know, not without its down moments for Cerrone. He got dropped in that one too, uh, and then came back and won it. That that fight against Rick Story where he pulls off just a video game combo to put him away. Uh, you know, it's entirely believable to me that Donald Cerrone could go out there and have a bad night against Masvidal and then still win four fights in 2017. Like, I wouldn't, if you came back from the very near future to tell me that, I would not find that difficult to believe at all. Um, I also, though, think how you know how this is going to play into the UFC narratives, right? When Donald Cerrone complains about money or when he's aligned with a, uh, an MMA athletes association, a MMA, if you will. Uh, and the thing that Dana White likes to trot out against Donald Cerrone is he's never won a title and he doesn't win the big one. Uh, and you gotta win them all, which, as we've seen with other people, is frankly not true. Um, but also, like you would think, if you're the UFC, you want guys like Donald Cerrone, guys who are willing to keep getting in there fighting over and over and over again in these really exciting fights, even when it seems like that might not be the best thing for them career-wise. Like, they are rolling the dice perhaps a little too often, and it's going to come back on them sooner or later, but they're doing it anyway because they just want to, uh, and that's how they want to make a living. You know, you would think that you would want to be encouraging that. in USC, Because otherwise, if I'm somebody else seeing how things have gone for Donald Cerrone here, uh, and I also hear him complaining that he's not making enough money, That's when I start to think like, okay, I should be a little more conservative. I should be a little more tactical in in what fights I accept and when.
1: Yeah, it's a great catch-22 of the UFC's uh, marketing philosophy, I guess. And that's that you want to pretend like only the main event champions have any value. And so those necessarily are the only people that you pay any kind of big bucks to. But at the same time, the truth is you need guys like Donald Cerrone because you're not going out there putting on – fight cards that only have one fight. You need to go out there and put on fight cards that have eight to 12 fights on them. And frankly, you need a guy like Donald Cerrone who's willing to fight all the time. And not only that, but a guy who is like built up some political capital with the fans as a guy that they want to watch. And as a guy that they like that, he he's, he's maybe the archetypal, uh, uh, example of the guy that the UFC needs. And so that makes it strange then to, uh, to try to defend, not paying him, uh you know the kind of money that the guy wants to get paid uh let's talk briefly about the stoppage and then we will talk briefly about what this means for Masvidal uh was this a big screw up here by uh by the referee and uh it didn't seem like we did any of this any of what transpired here any favors by cutting straight to the corner in between rounds of Cowboy Cerrone, <laughs> where uh, I've watched it twice now, and the second time I watched it, it didn't seem like he was as out of it as I thought he was the first time. But he was responding to uh, Brandon Gibson and and uh, Greg Jackson's queries in the corner with what I would describe as mild disinterest.
0: Yeah, he it, it did not look like he was totally home there. And when we talk about okay, the first the weirdness of the the stoppage or non stoppage there at the end of the first round. Herb Dean, to me, pretty clearly steps in before you hear the horn yeah, to sound the end at of least, the round.
1: At least on the broadcast,
0: yes. Right. It's well, also
1: another one of those kind of weak air horns that sounds like it's sort of running out
0: of juice. Yeah.
1: So for all we know, maybe it had been going off well, prior and, to that.
0: You know, yeah, he, he, I'm sure, heard the clapper for 10 seconds to know that the time was short and that in a vulnerable spot like that, every punch might matter. So maybe he was ready to step in there and call it at the the end of the round. But it did look like he intended to stop it. Uh, and maybe hears the horn as he steps in, and it seemed like there was a little bit of indecision on his part. And when Donald Cerrone gets up initially, I mean, you know, it's not like he lays there for a long time afterwards. He does get up right away, but doesn't look great when he does it. Yeah. You know, he gets up and kind of sways. He
1: actually, frankly, fails the the what-the-fuck test. Yes, he does. Because he is definitely woozy on his feet when he first stands up.
0: Right, and his corner kind of quickly grabs him and corrals him onto the stool, And you're right. He was able to answer the questions. Like he, you know, it's not like they were talking to him and getting nothing back. But the look on his face just kind of looked like, man, what the fuck am I doing here? Like I, I would rather be anywhere else. Uh, And Greg Jackson's kind of trying to pump him up a little bit. And Danny Downs and I went back and forth on this, and you know, get his fighter perspective on it. And I, I saw the points that he was trying to make about like, hey, you know, if we're gonna let him go out there and fight in this dangerous sport in the first place. If he's still able to sit there and talk to the guy and answer their questions the right way, and he, then he gets up, the doctor wants to talk to him and have him take a step forward, see if his legs still work, all that stuff. You know, don't we have to give him that that option to keep going at least a little bit uh, and and see how it goes for him? And I, you know, I see that logic to it. Um, I also see that when when you get him in that situation, and if we're looking for the corner to stop it, I they they have too many reasons not to. Like, that to me should have been one where maybe even after Herb Dean says, "I'm hey, I'm only stopping it at the end of the round, when he sees Donald Cerrone get up and look in his eyes there, maybe that's the moment when you call it. Um, I, I know we like to say that the corners have a responsibility to do that. And I think in practice what we've seen over and over again is it, it takes so much that the corners, you know, there's so many reasons for the corners not to do that. They have a, you know, they're thinking about their relationship with this guy going forward. Is he going to think I don't believe in him. Is he going to think, "Hey, you cost me an important moment in my career when you kind of you called it too soon"? Um, you know, the, there's an element of trust that they have to think about there. I think that we have to maybe place a little bit more of the emphasis on the the referees and the doctors and stuff in that situation.
1: Yeah, classic example, by the way, of a ringside fight doctor at this event in Denver wearing like a hot pink shirt unbuttoned about halfway to his belly button and then like a big medallion. That's the dude that you get. That's your fight. That's your <laughs> ringside doctor. That's the best and brightest that you can get to You're come out.
0: You're saying your family phys- physician go completely medallionless? <laughs>
1: not a medallion to be found? <laughs> My general practitioner does not wear a medallion. Uh let's talk just briefly about Jorge Masvidal. Obviously, we know uh trickle-down economics does not always work in these fight matchups. It's not like Masvidal is going to jump up and become the new Donald Cerrone, put on the crown and and uh Soldier bravely into the top five of the welterweight division. But Masvidal seems like an interesting dude, does he not? He seems kind of like cut from the same Donald Cerrone style of mold a little bit, especially in his post fight interview where he declared himself the real and a real fighter and then offered to put up $200,000 of his own money in a side bet with Dana White that he couldn't find a fighter to beat him in his next fight. Uh, so it's not like I think Masvidal is going to trade places with Donald Cerrone as being up there with Robbie Lawler and Damian Maya. As guys who are in the running to to fight the winner of Tyron Woodley and Stephen Thompson, but I also think now after winning three in a row here in the welterweight division, uh, Masvidal seems like a guy that that
0: could be something, right? Yeah, and he showed a little bit of attitude in there. Showed you know had a little bit more flair, I think, in this one. Uh, and if he can go out there and start finishing some people like Donald Cerrone and, and of that quality, then yeah, I think it's going to be hard to ignore him. I also think. When you look at his losses, uh, you know, especially more recently in the UFC, like in the past couple of years, you you see just nothing but split decisions. So it's not like he's getting blown out by anybody. I mean, he he lost a split decision to Lorenz Larkin, who is frankly dope. Uh lost a split decision to Benson Henderson, who uh you know, was dope at that time. Uh, lost split decision to Ally Akita. I believe that might have been the, are you booing me, you better not fucking boo me fight. That sounds right. Which should remind you of, that maybe it was very, very close. Um, So, I, you know, I think maybe he's better than he has looked on paper recently. And uh, if he can keep that mean streak going and, and go out there and finish some people, man, I think you're going to have to get serious about Jorge Masvidal
1: that'll be interesting to see what they do with him next uh that's going to do it for round number two we'll be right back with round number three Ben, Conor McGregor pulled off the rare pay-per-view interview this past weekend. Did you watch any of this thing?
0: Is that a serious question? You're asking me if I paid $5 to listen to Conor McGregor talk?
1: I'm asking you if you viewed any of the multiply available free internet videos after the fact. I read about it. Okay. I would expect just n- nothing less. Uh, I myself watched about 10 minutes. Uh, it seemed to me maybe Conor McGregor came out on stage on a Rolls Royce. Kind of a John Cena WrestleMania entrance kind of a deal.
0: People are paying to listen to you talk. You better give them a show. Just give them a little
1: bit of production values. Yeah. Obviously, he's wearing the nice tuxedo. He's being interviewed by Ariel Helwani, who I'm sure got a uh, a trip to the UK out of it. Uh, I believe they were in Manchester for this. Just previous to the pay-per-view interview hitting the streams... Conor McGregor posted an Instagram picture of him in his tuxedo, and I guess I will just read the pertinent part of the cut line, which says, fuck the UFC, fuck Floyd, fuck boxing, fuck the WWE, fuck Hollywood, and fuck you too, pay me. So pretty Conor McGregor style there. You left out
0: the part where he declares himself so made uh, and says that he has 5,000 people watching him, which is more than the UFC has which is not true of the UFC. i like 13,000 people for UFC on Fox 23, but okay.
1: Well, he did go right up against the UFC in terms of uh, broadcast, I believe here, counter-programmed, I think John Morgan said in the uh, post-fight interview with Dana White. Let me just read the quote, the, uh, the pertinent quote from, from Dana White. Uh, I've always shown Conor nothing but respect, and if he wants to go down that road with us, let me tell you, it will be an epic fall. Strong words.
0: Uh, Although later did you see in Dana White's remarks when – I believe when somebody kind of pointed out to him that one of the things Conor McGregor said about putting together a Floyd Mayweather fight was, hey, it would be easier if we all worked together on this, the UFC, me, and Floyd Mayweather, if we all three got together on it uh, and found a way to do it together. Uh, And then it seemed like Dana White was making his remarks not having seen or read the full extent of what Conor McGregor said. Yeah, he
1: says – the thing about these Dana White quotes is that if you actually watch the video of his comments, they seem a little less dire than if you actually just read them
0: on the page. The Epic Fall one was seemed pretty severe. He
1: does. Severe. I mean, you can't really back that off. You can't really back off Ep- Epic Fall. But Dana White does say in this video he didn't watch the uh, the pay-per-view, uh, I assume because his mind is on his money and his money is on his mind. Uh He's kind of laughing about the idea of a uh, fight between Mayweather and McGregor. Says that it's about the same chances as him, quote, being the backup quarterback for Tom Brady on, on, at the Super Bowl this Sunday. Uh, so Dana White is taking kind of a, uh, a wait-and-see approach, I guess you could say. Here. He also he also says, uh, hey, listen, if you're about to do a pay-per-view where you're charging people five bucks to listen to you talk, I'm sure you've got to say some pretty crazy shit. So uh, Again,
0: though, that's coming from the guy who made a real offer to Floyd Mayweather just recently. That constituted a significant pay cut.
1: Right. So I'm just trying to make the point. I'm not sure if this new pay-per-view interview with Conor McGregor represents an enormous – Wedge between him and the UFC, although it seemed like there's been trouble in paradise there for a little while. Uh, I'm just not quite sure what to make of this at all, including the fact that Conor McGregor is spending some of his downtime uh, pulling off a four pay interview in Manchester and on a stage in front of the fans.
0: Well, and also applying for a boxing license uh, during his UFC hiatus. And, you know, among the other things he said that I read, uh, having not ponied up five bucks to watch him talk to Ariel Helwani, is talking about the like how he feels about the UFC stripping one of his titles, creating interim titles, all that stuff. Clearly, he's not happy about that. Uh, And him claiming that, hey, if they would have just come to him and asked him to fight Featherweight, uh, asked him to fight one of these guys in March or something, that he would have done it. Um, And that's the kind of stuff that makes you feel like I don't know how the UFC on their side can keep saying no, everything's fine between us, Conor McGregor. There's no, there's no issue. We're we're all doing great, because um, at, at the very least, it seems like they're not communicating super well. Even if neither one of the two sides are mad at each other, it doesn't seem like they're really, uh, you know, in talks very often to to smooth some of this stuff over. And when I hear Conor McGregor s- start talking about the like logistics of making a Floyd Mayweather fight happen, you know, he he kind of seized on that $25 million real offer uh, of Dana White's and been like, okay, well, now you have a number to start from. Now you have somewhere to go from. Now you you have like a baseline for the negotiations, um, which honestly seems like kind of savvy on his part to to seize on that, uh, even though we all know that real offer, it goes in quotes around something like that. And I guess I just wonder, is Conor McGregor the type of dude who when you know he he can use this as a way to keep his name in the news that's a fun thing for him to do when he knows he's not going to be fighting he can take it or leave it you know he he knows that eventually the money's going to be made where he has the the contract to to pay him some money but then is he the type of dude who when he hears you talking about how it's going to be an epic fall if you don't do exactly what you what he wants you or what you want him to do is he the kind of guy to To take that more seriously than maybe you intended. See, now I think you
1: hit the nail on the head because to me, one of the major problems with the ongoing UFC Conor McGregor negotiations is that the UFC seems dead set at treating Conor McGregor the same way it treats everyone else. And I think we saw that going back to UFC 200 when it went ahead and pulled him off the card because – uh, you know the two entities had had failed to negotiate uh what was going to happen in terms of pre fight media I think that there's enough blame to go around there. You could probably uh blame whoever you want, depending on what your uh your own mindset is about that relationship uh when from the outside looking in, it seems apparent to almost everyone else in the world and I'm sure if you uh if you were able to read the u f c s minds uh it's apparent to them too that Connor McGregor is not anyone else he's his own thing and he has been savvy enough and successful enough and charismatic enough up to this point uh to become his own thing and and at this point in the fight world he's one of the only people out there who seems like a personal cottage industry like if you told me conor mcgregor was gonna promote his own fight card in ireland He's one of the only people in this industry where I would where I would not immediately think that's going to be a disaster, right? He seems like the kind of guy who might be able to to make it on his own. Uh, and the you know the more and more we continue to run and talk circles around this Floyd Mayweather thing, I guess the more it seems like they're like the to me like the door is still closed, like we're probably not going to see this thing. But the more we keep talking about it, the more it starts to seem like there's light underneath the door, right? Like when we first started out. This seem, This thing seemed like a completely impossible pipe dream. Now it just seems probably mostly impossible.
0: Yeah, I, I mean I don't think there's any one specific obstacle in the way that is absolutely impossible to overcome. Like all of them I think like reasonable people could find a solution to. I just don't know if what we're dealing with here are reasonable people who are right. capable of finding a solution to all of those simultaneously um, and in a reasonable time um uh, because you know, you know, that's not going to happen quickly that they're going to overcome that. I guess the other question is, would you even want to see it? Would you even really want to see a, a McGregor Mayweather fight? Like, would it just be because of what it would represent as far as like a, a kind of a landmark event uh, for both sports Because if you ask me, like, what I actually want to see athletically, I can think of a whole lot of other, like, actual MMA fights I'd be more interested in seeing Conor McGregor in.
1: Yeah, and I think that's probably true for both of us, being that we are MMA fans. Uh, It's not the kind of thing that I would feel overly hyped about, although, you know, I would also be lying if I said that I didn't, wouldn't, that I could imagine myself not being in front of it as it happened. Like, hashtag would end up watching it, I think, is the... Is the right way to say it, even though you know I don't know that it would. I would be paying for it to watch it on pay-per-view. But it seems like I would probably be going to an event to watch it. Uh, is is how it strikes me. But it also doesn't seem like a good fight. <laughs> it seems like a bad fight, and uh, it seems like a fight that would be worth it for Conor McGregor to make the money. It seems like a fight. That would be worth it for Floyd Mayweather to have a a cakewalk return to the boxing ring. I can't for the life of me decide if it would be worth it for the UFC. I mean, it would make a lot of money, but it would stand a really good chance to see of seeing its top star just get embarrassed in an athletic contest, which I'm not sure
0: is the greatest thing to have happen uh, to Conor McGregor. Well, and you would in order to make it happen to begin with your normal split of profits would have to change so dramatically that you might be setting a dangerous precedent for yourself if you're the UFC.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, if Conor McGregor uses this boxing license that he has in California now to challenge the authority of the UFC contract and ends up fighting Floyd Mayweather on some independent card produced by Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather, well, okay, now I'm a little bit more interested, I think. Now, uh, just from the standpoint of, of taking in a spectacle, now I, will, now I will be a little bit more interested to see what happens. True. All right, let's do uh, just saying stuff, Ben, and then then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, did you see any of Melvin Gillard's terrible loss to Chidi and Jokawani this past weekend yes, at Bellator? I, yeah. This one was bad. This one actually looked like Bruce Lee fighting Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in, in Game of Death. Oh, come on. So I guess this week I'm just saying maybe this is why you should make wait for your fights because – you go out there and you miss weight one, two, three, four, five times like Melvin Gillard has. And the next thing you know, you're fighting a damn giant in a 180-pound catchweight fight. And that shit does not go well for you, natural lightweight. This is not an ideal situation for you, especially for a dude who is now, and this is amazing to me, to put this when you think about it, uh, is 3, 9, and 2, dating back to 2011.
0: And still trying to walk around calling himself the young assassin, right? I'm just saying. The young assassin.
1: So you start missing weight for your fights, it's
0: a, well, it doesn't go anywhere good. Just saying. Just saying. Well, Chad, this week I'm just saying, did you hear CM Punk talking, I believe, to Fox Sports about what he thinks is next in his MMA career? No, I missed that somehow with my Google alerts for both CM Punk and Fox Sports. Yeah. Flew under the radar. I believe CM Punk was was hanging out at the uh, the NHL All-Star weekend. Uh, That sounds right. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, he was saying, you know, that he is kind of dead set on fighting again and that he's been throwing out a lot of names to Dana White. And it sounds, at least from his telling, like maybe he's been leaving a lot of messages and not getting a lot of calls back uh, from the UFC at this point. But he said that he will fight again, whether it's in the UFC or somewhere else. I'm just saying that if you're CM Punk and you want to get back a little street cred, you want to, you know, maybe replace the the current image of you in the minds of many MMA fans who were quick to make all the memes when you got straight up trucked uh, in your other fight. This is the best way to do it, is to fight somewhere other than the UFC for almost no money. I'm just saying that might be the best thing you could do, just reputation-wise, to go and prove to everybody that you really are about that life as an MMA fighter. Go out there. You know, maybe fight at uh you know, something like uh are they still doing gravel pit? Is gravel pit still uh an event? Like the one we talked about Joe Lozon fighting at? If you can fight at Gravel Pit nineteen or something, go out there for uh two hundred bucks to show, another two hundred bucks to win, fight a dude who is like three and two, uh fighting out of like, you know, Providence, Rhode Island. Go out there and, and take your shot like everybody else. I'm just saying, then people will be forced to respect it.
1: Just saying. Well that's gonna do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week uh to break down all the stuff that happens at UFC Fight Night 104 featuring Chan Sung Jung versus Dennis Bermuda, There's some other fun stuff on that card as well. The return of Alexa Grasso, you've got Jessica andrage against Angela Hill, uh Ovin Saint Prue returns, 80s Miami P.I. Curtis Blades is on this card. Curtis so we're going to- Blades. we're gonna have some stuff to talk about. As for right now, though, we are done, we are through, we are
0: out. See, I noticed that this week you didn't want to ask me about my hockey career because you know that we won and that I scored a goal and you didn't want to give me a chance to say anything positive about it. Well, I just you only want to ask about it when we lose. You think that I'm a typical journalist? I know. I know how you, you people in the so-called media do. Some of the most dishonest people. The rakers.
1: I know, I just felt like rather than have the opening of the podcast become uh, the, the recurring feature where we check in on the park.